You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt. I'm here with the Toughen Up crew, so Luke and Taryn, not Tyrone like I tried, but Taryn, and uh, we're going to just have a BS session about the season, how it went down. These guys are from Montana um, and have been shooting a ton of content that they're now editing and getting ready to post, so it's going to be a good episode, but how are you guys doing tonight? We're doing pretty good, man. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. Uh, it's application season, you know, so like Idaho and Alaska have already come by and now uh, Wyoming Elk's coming. So it's getting me fired up for another another year out west for sure. Oh, yeah, man. We, you know, I missed out on Idaho. I was I was, I was waiting. I was in the waiting room, didn't get my chance. So we'll see. Yeah, the way they do it is kind of weird for it's I like it and I hate it at the same time. It's kind of. Yeah, I like that. You know, there's it's no different points. in every other state. That's for sure. I like that. There's no points. The whole like waiting room, random number, see what's left, can't do groups. Like, like if the two of you were going to go to Idaho, you could probably like be in the same room and be like, hey, I'm number like 500. Oh, I'm 550. Okay, well, that's pretty close. We should be able to get the same unit. You know what I mean? But if you're like 500 and I'm like, yeah, I'm 23,000, it's like, oh, okay, good luck. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's it right there, man. So, that's you, it right there. I, I can't remember what I was. I was way back on that list this year, though. I couldn't believe it. And then by the time you get up, it's just like, I don't know, unit 18, and you're like, I'm pretty sure unit 18 doesn't even have any elk. Yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> Do you guys or, hunt you know, a lot of states other than Montana? You know, we uh, just got back from Utah this year. Uh, I drew a limited entry hunt down there this year. Um, that was that was awesome. Uh, I've hunted, or I guess we both hunted Idaho, and now we're starting to get towards, like, you know, ne- this next year is going to be a pretty big year for us we're, we're gonna be in colorado and uh hopefully new mexico and definitely arizona so wow yeah that's a 
all for elk too? Uh, some for elk, some for mule deer. Yeah. Colorado will be our archery mule deer is what we're going to be focusing on there. Yeah. That's a, that is a full, a full season. So archery mule deer, you're probably going to be up high then like above the tree line in the Alpine. That's what we're looking for. Yep. Yeah. That'd be crazy. We were elk hunting Colorado this year and I saw the biggest mule deer I have ever seen in my life. And I haven't, I don't see a ton of big mule deer cause I live in Minnesota, but this thing like 300 yards away I picked out how much mass it had and then I pulled my binos up and it was like wide and tall and then right before he ducked out of the out of the like clearing uh I was like holy crap those are some deep forks like just everything about this deer was a stud and I was like man I don't even feel like elk hunting anymore like I just want to go after that thing I don't even have a tag I just want to see it again that's how big this thing was that's, that's what we're looking for, man. We've done pretty good on the elk, you know, the last few years, but we're just, just struggled to kill a, you know, a mature mule deer. And that's what we're, that's, that's probably our biggest goal going into 2024 would be big mule deer. Yeah. Big mule deer. Yeah. Those suckers are tough. tough to come by, man. Yeah. You can't even like, they're hard to find. And once you find them, especially bow hunting, I mean, if you guys are strictly bow hunters, yeah, that's, it's. It's tough to come by, and you can't even, like, they don't pattern well, they don't call well, they don't, it just everything about them is hard. Yeah, definitely no part of it's easy, that's for sure. So, hopefully, we, uh, maybe we can make it happen. I think Colorado is definitely our best chance. Yeah, Colorado, I mean, Colorado is the mule deer state. So, right. if there's a place to do it, get it done. I mean, there's big mule deer everywhere, but, like, Colorado is famous for how many big mule deer they have, and... Right, and those big, dude, I watched so many videos on those big basins and above the trees and then that alpine stuff, and it is, it's like a dream come true is what it really is. Yeah, we have a, uh, he's a friend of the podcast, we've gone shed hunting with him, and he's in southwest Colorado, and he has a, a match set of 208-inch mule deer sheds in his house. That's insane, dude. Yeah. we would walked be nice, it would be picked, nice. We picked him up, and I'm just like, I couldn't believe like how big the frame was. It's clean, clean four by four with a little bit of junk, not much, but you know, you'd call it basically a clean four by four that big. And it was just, yeah, it's, it's what you're looking for. Found them in the same day, about 50 yards apart. I mean, imagine shed hunting and matching up a shed, like a deer like that in 50 yards. Yeah. I don't have that luck, man. Let me tell you. No, I'm about the worst shed hunter. I know. You guys got a bunch of you guys got a bunch of pictures of piles. Come on, don't be. No, that's not me. That's yeah, no. that's my buddy. <laughs> here. Yeah, that's not me. Not to get off subject, but uh, earlier this year we went over. We'd act. We usually go to Eastern Montana. Yeah. Like towards the end of the year for the deer rut. Well, uh, we ended up going on opening day this weekend just to try something new, just to see. Yeah. If uh, that work out well. It was crap. I mean, we didn't. We found probably three, three deer that were all just tiny, like two points and this and that. Well, our last day over there, this guy stops us in a in a razor, and we're we're on the road glassing some public, and he just pulls up behind us and starts chatting. Well, out of nowhere, he's like, "You guys shed hunt?" And we're like, "Oh, you know, yeah, a little bit. You definitely look for him." And uh, so, uh, I mean, he literally never met the guy pulls up next to us in the side by side he's like well get in my razor i'll bring you up to the to a shed collection you've 
uh, the biggest one you've ever seen. We were like, you know what? Screw it. Yeah. So we literally just hop into this random side by side. He brings us up to his house and it was a collection and a half. I mean, he had over 200 deer horns, oh over gosh. 200 inches. And we, on our Instagram, if you looked at it, you, you we posted a little bit about it, but just an insane. And most of the deer horns just came from Eastern Montana back in the day when the deer were just thriving. And now he says he hasn't found a 200 inch shed in over eight years. Just, just crap for the, the deer being big over there, but still super cool to see. Yeah, that would be, that would be a shed collection. I thought you were going to say he just offered to like bring you shed hunting out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, dude, if I could go with that guy, he man. gave us, he gave us some little spots for yeah. sure. Just, the, he's, he's real old now and he's done doing it. it oh, really? Like, Imagine how much but he had, yeah. money he's got tied up in that collection. Like if he started oh, selling those things, man, it it's got he's got to have a, a lot of money, dude. He's got everything from four hundred inch bulls to two hundred and fifty inch whitetail, giant, the biggest mule deer you've ever seen. I mean, he like it is. I I I would. It's arguably like the best shed collection of all time. Wow, it might be that. That's crazy. I was curious. I was curious and just asked him because he's a rancher, owns all his property, and like most of those guys are just not really into that. You know, they're more of a pesk. Like, get right. these horns off my land, whatever. Well, he'd been doing it forever, and I just asked him. I was like, "So, what was the what was the deal? Or like, what what got you into it? Because you know, like right. everybody's got their thing." And he he's like right here and right in the middle of the room on a table he's got like a two hundred and twenty inch white tail. Oh my deadhead from Montana. He, yeah, just right on the river bottom where he lived. Jeez. He found that and it just stuck him. Like he was like from that day forward, I was out here every day looking for this deer's sheds. All and you know, and like he was like that was the moment where I was addicted. Like, wow, I didn't even cool. know Montana had white tails that big. Not a lot of them. Well, it was. Definitely not, not that I've seen, but you know, they're around. Back in like freaking 1970. Yeah, before everyone thought it was cool to pick up antlers. Now it's like a foot right race to find it. anything. Yeah, that's exactly it. Man, if I yeah, could he... do that all year long, just shed hunt, like shed crazy or hush or any of those guys, like that, I could, I'd be happy. Like I could make that my oh, full time gig, picking up antlers for sure. Oh man, dude, watching Eric like throughout the year on his YouTube videos, you know, it's man, like the, dude, they're so good at it too. Yeah. I mean, they really are. Well, they're putting numbers, man. I can't believe, like, I'm sure we'd be shocked to know like how much actual time they spend on it. And they've spent on it like growing up before they got as good as they are. Oh yeah. But yeah, they are like, they're just laying them down and then recently it seems like the last couple of years like eric especially has gotten really into like bombing off into deep stuff and then backpacking for like three four days into places that most people never go and just stacking them up and then he like leaves half of them because he can't carry them all out yeah exactly dude i know he's gonna have to get one of those like, massive one drones yeah we, we're actually uh you know we're pretty good friends with uh the kid that used to work for Eric, he, he's like a 20 year old kid. And, mm. uh, yeah, he was on some of those trips with him. His, his Instagram is big time crit. And he, uh, he's told me some like 
some stuff about him and man, he's just a good guy. I mean, all around that Eric Chester, he's a, he's a, he's a real good dude. Yeah. And he kind of, I feel like Eric was probably one of the first like full-time hunting YouTubers. Oh yeah. They're kind of like paving the way, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, yeah, him and Chester for a long time. Yeah. And before them, there really wasn't anyone that I know of that was doing it, you know, like full, like that was their job was putting stuff on YouTube and hunting. And that's just super cool to me. Like that'd be the dream. Oh, that's yeah. As good as it gets. Yeah. I assume that you guys do both like video, like you got a lot of great photography too, but do you do mostly video when you do out in the, like that's the kind of the main media you like edit and put out like long form YouTube and like content like that. Yeah. So we're trying to get to, uh, you know, we, we, I mean, really the goal is to almost be like hush in some ways, but, uh, more or less like gritty. We, we, we really enjoy like the gritty films, the longer films, the, yeah. they seems like they just go to the deepest places, you know, like stuff like that. And so we, we're, we're just working on, you know, putting out more content. We're going to work on, you know, being better about when we're out, when we're on these hunts to be filming the little things. Cause that is, that's something we definitely need to work on is, you know, just more content. Like we, we, we take a lot of photos and we do a lot of this and that, but in terms of like making the perfect movie, that's kind of what we're, that's kind of what our plans are for 2024 is to put out just a bunch of YouTube videos. Yeah. So you're thinking like more like full draw film tour quality, like, like one feature that's not just like a 10 minute daily update, but like this is the entire experience. Exactly. Make you feel like you're riding with us. You're hiking up the hill with us. You're yeah. camping in the tent, whatever it might be. Dude, I feel for you. Cause like, Sometimes the last thing I want to do when I'm hiking up the mountain is, like, get the camera out, capture this. <laughs> oh, dude, it's miserable. <laughs> You're already, like, dying. It just doesn't seem like fun, you know? Well, plus, you don't want to be the guy that's holding the camera that's, like, breathing into it, you know? Yeah, the, the, the this frame's just, like, going <laughs> and just bouncing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yep. I watched a, a Meat Eater episode, um, and it was a pronghorn hunt with Luke Combs. And, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I've seen that episode. And I just laughed, like, how funny Luke was about the whole thing and just, like, self-deprecating humor in a way. But he's, like, you know, they're, like, hiking around and Luke's breathing kind of heavy. I mean, it's super hot out and everything. And he's, like, now I know why we didn't do an elk hunt. It'd just be 22 minutes of me breathing heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was funny. So. But, man, it's that's what's the hardest thing for, like, the hardest thing for us is finding, like, if we were to hire some sort of, you know, videographer, it's finding somebody that keeps up with us that wants to be there. You know, it's hard. Like when you're on these like six to, you know, 12 day hunts, whatever it might be, man, it's, it's hard to find guys that will stick it out with you. Yeah. And not get on each other's nerves. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're bad. You know, we're yelling at each other half the time and, you know, going at each other, whatever. If you've been listening to the Western rookie podcast for a little bit, you know how much I love the go hunt insider service. You've heard me talk about how I use it on every single hunt I go on in the West, but you might not know I use it a lot to research different units and states and species I haven't applied for yet, just to get an idea of what's out there, how many points it would take to draw a certain tag, and kind of plan out the future of my Western hunting journey and all the dreams I have for different hunts I'd like to go on. And I've got a really big announcement for you all when it comes to researching tags. GoHunt just released an update to their mobile app that puts filtering 2.0 into the palm of your hand. 
Whether you've got a couple minutes of downtime between calls and meetings, or you're just sitting on the couch at night relaxing and watching an episode, it's never been easier to do the research on Western hunts and tags. I've been using it all week to plan out this year's antelope hunt in Wyoming, and all I have to do is click the state and species I'm looking for, fill out residency and how many points I have, and then I start filtering it based on what I'm looking for in a unit. For example, success rate, trophy potential, all the things you're used to in the web app is now in your phone. And if you're not an insider yet, go over to GoHunt.com, check it out, all the tools you get with the subscription Plus, that GoHunt app and the filtering 2.0 in the app now makes it one of the best deals you're going to find when it comes to Western hunting information. Use the code WESTERNROOKIE when you sign up, and they're going to give you $50 of gear shop credit when you become an insider. It might be, but in the end, you know, everybody's got this. I mean, at least us, we have the same goal, you know. Yeah. And it always happens. Yeah, I mean, emotions are pretty high when you're chasing bulls and, and giant bucks, but I got to imagine it's also not cheap to hire camera guys for hunts because, like, not only you have to be able to run a camera, but also I'm paying for the guy that can run a camera and can run up a mountain and knows how to hunt and stay quiet. Like, you're starting to really get selective, and then the price, you know, per camera guy is starting to go up and up and up every time you, like, whittle it down. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where we're sitting. Yeah, it's exactly you just said it is finding it's it's like finding a needle in a haystack, really. Right. And then tough. The big guys like swallow them all up. Oh yeah, as fast as they can. Right. Like like if you were if you were that guy that can run a camera good and can run a mountain and you're like, Well, I could, you know, I could work with this these guys or I could just go get a job at Meat Eater. Or Randy Newbert. Like, it's like, well, that's a full-time, full-year gig. You know, I might as well just do that and have, like, the job yeah. security versus, like, two hunts. And then it kind of, like, cuts up my entire fall. That's exactly it, yeah. So, yeah, I just don't see how you can come out ahead when you're starting out without learning how that's to run tough, the camera man. yourself. Yeah, it's, that's I think that's the way we're just going to have to do it, you know. Yeah. When I, when I sit back and I think about it, and we've been thinking about it for months and months and months, and that's just... That's that's just going to be the way, I think. Yeah, I mean, at least then you get the option. Like, you have so many more options, like, to go out, like, dates, uh, something doesn't work, weather patterns suck. Like, when you run the camera, you just, all right, we're going tomorrow. It's raining today. When you exactly. go hire a camera guy, it's like you book the dates you book. And it's like some of them are probably pretty flexible, but for the most part, like, they got schedules. It's like, well, I got five days, and I got to fly to Texas and film a waterfall hunt. So, you know, are we going to shoot yep. it or not? You know, yeah, and you know, same. Well, I'll say it again. I think the best way to do it is, you know, just do it ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's like I don't know. It, the problem is too is it's, it's like so expensive, man. Camera equipment is not cheap. No, matter what you do, you can't figure it. Like even when you watch the, you know, I've watched YouTube videos, countless YouTube videos, my cheap hunting video setup or whatever it might be. It's just never that mark you're looking to hit. No. Yeah, I don't think the guys that are making it into the full draw film tour are, are using their iPhones, you know, oh, and a little no handy way. cam. Right, exactly. So, do you guys? Yeah, go ahead. We, oh, just speaking of camera gear and everything, we've got a little bit of big news. I mean, right now we're raw, we literally the Utah hunt was filmed on an iPhone. Yeah, and I think a few clips there might have been the GoPro, but like right now we've got a drone, some GoPros. 360 we haven't even got a camera yet but on sunday 
we've got worked enough and came up with enough money that we're buying like a souped up super zoom Sony camera for like really getting some sharp quality video. Oh, that's going to so be awesome. That's, that's in the works within the next couple of weeks. We'll have, we'll have some really, really good quality videos coming out. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah. Coming well, soon. No, I, I, I feel it because I used to sell film whitetails and I like started with like a little cheap camera that I hated. And then I went and bought, it wasn't a super zoom by any means, but it was just like the Canon G30, like a normal 20X zoom, you know, something perfect for whitetails. And like it it was, took great content. The problem was it's like the sucker was like this big. And then you got to throw that in your pack with everything out. And that's just a whitetail hunt. Like, you know, like, oh, poor me. I just got to climb one tree. Like, imagine, <laughs> like, carrying. Like, that's what I always go back to with these camera guys and, like, have so much ad- admiration for the people that do it. Like, you got to haul that camera up and down the mountain all day, plus all your other elk hunting stuff. Oh, man, it's ridiculous. It's, it's so much extra weight. I feel, even just watching, like, media when Stephen Rinaldi is talking, that, in the back of my mind nowadays, I'm thinking, that poor camera guy. Yeah. Like, that guy is working his ass off right now. Yeah, I've heard it's I love their podcast when they have their camera guys on and they're like taking shots at Steve. He's like, yeah, we've been like filming this frame this entire time. And then you just turn around. So now we have to run all the way around you to make sure like (laughs) you're still looking the same direction. Otherwise, like the viewers are going to get confused at what's going on. If you're like looking right and then you're looking left and then you're looking right. And so they're like just running circles around the host and the whoever, you know, Steve and whoever's hunting with them probably doing twice as many steps with just as much or more weight oh yeah definitely so i remember that's yeah definitely said more weight i remember the year i filmed an elk hunt with our group or i just i didn't really film an elk hunt that's probably an overstatement i brought a camera and shot some mediocre clips but my pack was like 46 pounds just day hunting which is yeah, yeah, and that's just that's a lot of weight to be bringing around. There. It wasn't even spiking up. We weren't even sleeping on the ground. We like just go out for one day and go back to like uh, I think at that time we had a VRBO, and so it's not like I was carrying a tent too. Like there's all just camera gear, mics, camera gear, batteries, chargers. Yeah, I, I dropped that real fast. And people don't realize when like you know if you're that is one thing that like I would definitely say a Western rookie might make. Is that when you're adding, you know, let's say you have a five pound camera, it doesn't seem it's five pounds or whatever it is. Right. But on top of all your other stuff, man, weight adds up so quick. And That's... I don't think people realize how fast you can get to 50, 60 pounds. That blows my mind every year. Cause I have, like, I have good gear. Like, we've been doing this long enough that I have, like, pretty dang good stuff. And so, like, I start with a Mystery Ranch Metcalf. And when that thing's empty, like, it almost floats. It's so light. And I'm like, all right, perfect. I'm going to go light this year. I'm just going to go light and lean. I'm going to be running around. And so it's like, all right, put that in. Put my water in. And and you're always like, well, water is water. Like, you got to have water. Right? It weighs what it weighs. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to go lightweight snacks. Like, everything's going to be, like, you know, high calorie density, like peanut butter and bacon strips is basically what I eat. And then – you know, that doesn't weigh anything. And you're like, okay, well, I need a kill kit, but my knife is super small. Like, I got one of those, like, right. replaceable blade knives. Like, everything is small that I'm putting into my pack. Also, when I get ready to go, I'm like, holy shit, where did this weight come from? 
you know, toss it on the scale and you're like, damn, like I, it's hard for my pack to be less than 30 pounds. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I agree. Yeah. Just with like, I mean, just with stupid things, things that like, you don't, things I like to have, I'm probably breaking, you know, 15 pounds and then, you know, added, you know, a spotting scope, a couple cameras, whatever it might be. And you're already at that 30 pound mark. Yeah, yeah, it's the spotting scope and the tripod really suck. Oh, yeah, it adds up. It does. Yeah, I bounced mine off the pack one time. We are four-wheeling up this mountain, like super steep, super steep trail. Like the kind of trail that when you're riding shotgun in a Ranger, you're like constantly yelling at the driver, like, can you not do that? <laughs> Don't, nope, no, like just on pins and needles the whole time. While I was riding up the four-wheeler, my uh, my rangefinder and my spotting scope and the tripod were all strapped to the back of my pack. And it's so rugged. Like, you're, like, snowmobiling, like, jumping off, leaning one side, leaning the other side, like, going in and out of ruts, <laughs> over trees. And I get to the top, my spotting scope's not in my pack anymore. My tripod is, my rangefinder is, everything <laughs> else is. Spotting scope's oh, gone. Man. And so I'm, like, I'm pretty sure I put it in there. I'm pretty sure I left camp with it. And so I'm, like, well, I guess we'll find it on the road on the way out was not on the road on the way out. Dude, you know, I, I got a very similar story to that this season, actually. We were, uh, did you find yours? We were, well, it's not a spotting scope. And <laughs> way worse. Cause way I found worse. mine. There's two four wheelers so, that were in there and they left before me. And I drove all around our mountain to every camp, to camp, to camp, to look for those two four wheelers. <laughs> Couldn't find it. Next night, those two four wheelers were back. And so I was like, you guys go hunt. I'm going to keep it close, and I'm going to make sure I beat those guys back to the four-wheeler because I know they found my spotting scope. Sure enough, I show up. The one guy found a nice shed. He's like, oh, yeah, I did find a fo- spotting scope. Why don't you follow me back to camp? So I just followed him oh, back to yeah. this camp and, uh, yeah, got my spotting scope back. But yeah, Was it was it damaged or anything, or was it good to go? No, it was great. It was a, actually, yeah, no, it was fine. I can't remember. I did break a Leopold spotting scope in half one year, but that was a different year. <laughs> Man, okay. Well, we were uh, same kind of deal. We're, we were actually we were double teaming a four wheeler, so it sucks already. You know, we got pack strapped on yeah. the back, pack strapped on the front. Well, mine's on the back, and we're going up this rocky, completely state. a blizzard outside. Oh yeah, just, <laughs> just a bad day to be in the mountains. Anyway, we're going up this trail, and we get to the spot, and we go on our hunt. You know, and it takes me till the very next day. We get to our, our, a totally different spot. I get out of the truck. I look down at my pack where my handgun always is on my belt, and my handgun's gone. Oh, God. And instantly, I just I knew it. And, you it know, I went up that road. like Stomach never drops. Gone. And that's, like, that's something I don't like talking about. It's, like, embarrassing, you know. It sucks. Every part of that. But there's, you know, nothing I can do. It's just gone? Like, you went back and looked oh, for it? <laughs> see you later. Yep, it's gone. God damn, that does suck. Someone will find it. If someone's listening to this podcast, you found a, po- a handgun in Montana, why don't you send it back to... <laughs> Shoot me a message, man. Shoot me a message. I lost a cell Ruger, phone. Ruger 9 mil. A Ruger 9? That's our 9. Go find it. <laughs> Put a bounty on these things. I've had a couple people like with weird podcasts like, losing things, and one of, a, one of them was a fishing guide that has like custom nets that are supposed to float. And one of his, oh, some of his client just left it on the side of the boat. So as they take off, his net just gone into the lake really? and it just starts sinking. He's like, if anyone finds that net, let me know. Well, like, it, I didn't find his net, but literally that next year I was fishing and I caught a landing net. 
No way. Like, it was the same model landing net as his. It was a different lake. But, yeah, just Austin set the hook. I'm like, oh, this is a monster. Pull it up. It's like one of those 10-foot, like, telescoping landing nets. Well, you, you know, you might not have caught some fish, but you caught some money. Well, we caught, yeah. Well, and it was Canada, so we caught plenty of fish. But Oh, yeah, well, Canada. was not right on. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's right kind on. of funny, like, losing stuff and finding stuff out in the mountains. Oh, yeah, it's all, all the time. Dude. People lose so much stuff. I've lost, you know, like, reels for a fly rod or, like, certain things like that. Luke actually found a whole, like, camera was it an echo fly rod? Yeah, total, totally set up fly rod, ready to go, just right at the boat ramp. Oh, like, someone probably put it down, loaded up some stuff, forgot about yeah. it, and took off. And it, it wasn't, like, some, it wasn't a nice rod or anything, but we went and talked to all the fly shops, and nobody ever said nothing. Like, I put my name, and so I got a cheap, cheap fly rod for free. Nice. That's sweet. <laughs> I would, I would definitely me. take that. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. Now, everyone knows that Steelhead Outdoors safes are the only American-made, fire-insulated, modular safes on the market. But you might not know that Steelhead Outdoors also carries a full line of handgun lockers, pistol boxes, and even custom vault doors. So whether you're looking for a locker to store your concealed carry when you walk in the front door, or a pistol box to mount underneath your nightstand, or even if you're looking to secure an entire doorway in your home and create a safe room, Steelhead Outdoors has a solution for you. You can tell the guys over at Steelhead are gun owners because they have the gun owner in mind when they design their products. Their handgun lockers are just the right size to store modern-day handguns with lasers, optics, double-stack magazines, and even a backup gun. While their pistol boxes are the perfect size to mount underneath your bed, your nightstand, or even in your vehicle. And when it comes to a custom vault door, they have designed a panic lock and emergency release so you can easily lock and unlock your vault door completely from the inside, meaning you are always safe but never trapped inside. Go to SteelheadOutdoors.com to check out all of their security options and pick the right one for you. Yeah, I think I'm still negative because I lost a cell phone hunting one time. We were, I was phone scoping, and I heard elk were coming across, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Well, then they, like, turned and cut, and we're going to come down and, like, up our valley. And so then we're like, oh, crap, we need to get, like, going. And so we tear everything down and start running, and we run a mile, cut their tracks. We didn't run fast enough. And then I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't have my phone. Oh, man. And so I think I, like, tried to slip it in my jacket pocket, and it just went, like, down, and then eventually as I was running, it just fell out somewhere. I backtracked yeah, I mean, a mile in the snow and looked at, like, every hole in the snow and couldn't find it. That's just, when you lose that kind of stuff, man, you just might as well just accept it. That's what I've been rolling with the last couple of years. I wasn't mad. I always have insurance on my phones because I'm pretty hard on them. What made me the most mad was, like, it was, like, we were using, like, straight Onyx and Go Hunt for maps at that point. Mm-hmm. And so it's day one of the hunt, and I lost my phone. And so I had to, like, go to the peak of the mountain and take out – luckily I had an iPad with me that year. And so I had to, like, download all my maps and, like, whenever someone's – you know how you stop and you're, like, you're looking at the map and you're, like, oh, let's go check this out or go check that out. Like, there I am with my iPad, like, yeah, look at this. Probably kind of nice. Yeah, everyone loved it. They're, like, oh, let's use Brian's iPad to figure out where we're going. And yeah, so, maybe that might be a new thing, man. Carry an iPad. You just, you. I just slipped it right in like that sleeve that your bladder sits in. Like every pack's got oh, yeah, one of those. Sure. I just slipped it right in there. Just like you're going back in school, you're slipping your laptop in your backpack and 
going to class. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. But, but no, I'm definitely negative. I'm definitely really negative on losing stuff versus finding stuff. I'll find yeah. like a broken trekking pole for losing. Yeah, like that's know. what I find. You might find a couple of my broken trekking poles out there. You never know. I find a lot of turtle shells in places I didn't think there was turtles. Really? Definitely. Like turtle a, shells? Like in the Dakotas, shed hunting, I find a lot of like empty turtle shells. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I picked one up, and then I realized like they're everywhere, and I'm like, oh, that's probably not that cool, so I put it back down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So That's how the lizards were for us in Utah. Lizards? We found a couple... Yeah, the lizards, they were, I mean, everywhere. I think they're called something weird, but, I mean, they have four legs, tail, they look like a dragon. I mean, and it's, they were everywhere. Well, there is, like, a bearded dragon lizard, right? Yeah, I think that's what they call it, bearded dragon, I think. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah, those were in they, Utah. Oh, man, they were everywhere. Like, it was cool the first day, and then it was, like, they're up in the net of the tent and shit. It was just freaking oh, too much. Disgusting, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I mean, I'm not, like, afraid of, like, reptiles, but I don't want them in places they're not supposed to be. Oh, yeah, I don't want it in my sleeping bag, you know. It's not. Were you Next to your face in the middle of the night getting warm in your floorless tent. So were you guys, like, backpacking it in Utah, or did you have, like, a like a wall tent? It was it was an Argali. Yeah, just uh, the new Argali, the four-person teepee. So, yeah, we're okay. backpacking in these places, you know, and uh, – but we kind of bounced around because that was a unit we never even got to scout. So we would, you know, try this spot for, you know, whatever, two or three days. If it didn't pan out, then we'd, you know, move maybe to the opposite side of the unit or maybe just slightly over or something, you know. Yeah. Yes. Just, we bounced around that unit until we figured it out. And by the end of it, man, I, I, I wish I could draw that tag someday because I got a pretty good idea of how it works nowadays. But. Yeah, that's the bummer with, like, glory tags. Or like like once in a lifetime, it's like even if you could draw it twice, you probably never will. And so you only get one shot at hunting this unit. And so like I've had a lot of people actually talk to me about like doing the spike hunts in Utah for like whatever unit you're planning to hunt, whatever ten years from now, fifteen years from now, like start spike hunting it now. So you just learn the unit, you learn all the roads, you learn like how it works, and you can only shoot spikes, which. At the end of the day, like, yeah, it's cool to shoot big bulls, but I'd rather shoot a spike than, like, not shoot an elk one year. Oh, yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, there's a lot of people that have said, like, that's one way where you can at least, like, when you do draw that tag, you have a little bit of information going into it. It's funny you say that because, actually, like, we met these people, these old, this older couple that had been, uh, you know, they've been spike hunting that unit forever, but they they still haven't drawn that perfect big bull tag is what they call it or whatever and uh they gave us some good pointers about spots to go you know spots to avoid yeah but because they had been there so long they've hunted it every year and they kill elk every year spikes you know every single year so they i mean they really the information we got from them was the most valuable thing about that hunt by far so i met so you guys had the like actual bull tag yeah, so I, I actually drew it at the Hunt Expo, so I what was that's like was kind of the problem is they've been putting in for twenty you know six years maximum points in Utah, and I go you know Montana kid goes to Utah and draws this tag in one go. So you drew it like a raffle at the Western Hunt Expo. Yeah, so they do the two hundred permits, and you you know they're five dollars a piece or whatever, and you can put in for as many as you want. 
And then I, th I think that's pretty much what, how you'd call it is like a raffle. Cause they're just drawing you out of whatever it might be. 15,000 people. Oh, damn. 10,000 people. Man, you got luck. Oh yeah. It's purely luck. I've I drew one once in a lifetime tag with like the same odds in North Dakota, but it was the same. It's kind of the same situation. So I moved there for college, got a job, and like you can you can buy like a over the counter archery mule deer tag for like over, like as a resident when you go to college, which non residents can't just go buy a mule deer tag. You have to apply, and it's like every couple of years. So you get like a couple benefits, but you can't apply for like their big three, like the elk, the sheep, and the moose. So the first year I like turned my residency over, got a job, like bought a house. I forgot the deadline for the elk application. I was like, oh, deer applications in June. I'm sure everything's in June. Nope. Elk and sheep and moose were like two years early or two months early. So I forget the first year. So the second year I apply for the first time. And I remember I was at the gym um, just stretching and I was checking. I got an email from, you know, ND Game and Fish open it up and it says like unsuccessful submitted successful. So like the, the sheep wasn't drawn yet. So it just said submitted moose was unsuccessful and then elk was successful. And at first I'm like, no way. Like this is supposed to be like a 50 year draw. And I'm like, Oh shoot. I probably effed up the application and applied for a cow on accident. <laughs> so then I had to like go back to my emails and figure out what I really applied for. Sure enough, I applied for the bull I drew it. It's like less than like it's about a half a percent chance. Man, that's crazy. So most people don't ever draw it in their lifetime. I drew it on the first try after forgetting to apply. And then I tell my like the next day I tell my boss's boss because he's a hunter. So he's like department manager. And he's like, I've been applying for that tag for 30 years. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wish I went to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. That's how it goes. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to tell you I forgot to apply last year. I'll just leave it at that and quit digging this. You know, and I think, like, drawing that elk tag was going to be, like, I'm kind of scared it's the high point of my life, you know? Like, <laughs> it's never going to happen again, anything crazy like that. Well, how did the – how so how did the hunt go? Like, obviously, you guys are editing film, and, and you're going to put out the full film, but give, like, Oh, the, the film's actually out. It's on YouTube. Okay. You can you can check it out. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was 12 days – um, we took another buddy down to film it and, you know, he did, he did a pretty good job. I mean, we can't ask him for much more. And, uh, it was a hard hunt, man. We, we, like I said, we bounced around from different spots to different spots. And at the end we sat a wallow and we got it done, but we, but the whole time we were there and granted we got there, I think the last week of August and then hunted until maybe the, the beginning of the last week of August, then hunted till September 8th. Oh, wow. And elk didn't talk the damn near the whole time. I mean, we'd hear like chirps here and there. But actually, the night that I hit my bull, like when we were laying in the tent, the elk started to go crazy. So I think. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Like it was just like we were in that like zone, you know. Of course, we're out there. So. Yeah. And like the. Were they. So you're saying they finally started talking like the ninth or the eighth, the, like the the morning of the eighth, but the night of the seventh, I hit my bull, yeah, and I hit him back, so we gave him the night, and we found him the eighth. Gotcha. Well, that, dude, that would clear. Yeah, that's a it's a monster bull. For anyone, Thank you, man. For anyone that is ever into elk hunting, I think I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to hear you guys' opinion about this, but 
it seems like lately on Instagram, it's like it's not a big bowl unless it starts at the three, right? Like everyone wants to shoot 300. And then even like more than that, everyone's been talking about 300s for so long. Like now it seems like people don't think it's cool unless it's like 320, 330, 350. I'm like, I don't know, man. I've seen a lot of 270s that look giant when they're at 30 yards. So I'm going <laughs> to yeah. say like to me, a big bull starts like 260, 270. You know, I think it's funny that you say that because like the year prior to that, I killed, I got pretty lucky and I killed a 340 bull in Montana. So everybody, you know, like you're never going to top that. But to me, like killing a 300 bull is still, that's that's as good as it gets. Killing any bull with your with a bow, I mean, that is yeah, that's a hard thing to do, man. It's, it's not, hard. Yeah, no, it's not it, easy at all. Especially like we had so one year we were in Wyoming, we had six guys, seven guys in camp. We had one more guy in camp than we could apply because one guy was, had a bear tick, and so he just called elk and he's like, I'm, "I know I'm not going to see a bear, but I want to come with." We had, in, like, a, a full week of hunting, we had, like, 33 bulls under 60 yards and only had, like, clear shots at two. Like, that's how that's... Th- thick the black timber was and, like, how many times we were, like, in the game and had no shot. It's tough, man. It's so tough. Was that this year? No. That was... 2018 it's actually we've had like very very poor archery hunting for like the last three or four years like with bulls talking and and actually like calling the last three years it's basically been like silent spot and stock in the black timber that's that's a tough way to do it man it really is this year was just brutal for the elk they wouldn't start talking until it was dark or the sun was starting to come up and they'd literally talk for maybe five minutes and just go silent. Yeah. I mean, everyone. That's where we've, that's what we had last year. Um, we had one decent day of bugling. Um, this year we had a little bit of bugling. We had a buddy that like got close enough for a shot, but no, that was like three, four years ago. And I don't know what, what happened. I mean, it's our favorite spot in Wyoming, but I don't know if there's like a good weather pattern. I don't know if like the moon, I don't know what happened, but it was like the best week of elk hunting we've ever had. And I remember, like, three times in one day, I had a bull. I was calling. I had a buddy out in front, and we had a bull within 20 yards of him, and he could barely even see it. Like, he's like, the antler, I can see the tips of his antlers, and he's raking that tree, and the jungle is so thick that he's, like, 20 yards away. I can't. And, it's, and I'm like, dude, I don't really know what to do if he's, like, if I got him into 20, like, I don't <laughs> – it's not like I'm a real cow in heat. Like, I don't know how much farther I'm going to be able to pull this bull in. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if you if we can't get it done, getting a bull into 20, like, how are we possibly supposed to get this done? And we only got, out of the two-shot opportunities, we only got one of the bulls. So that's, you know, take it. I'd take it. That's, oh, I'd take it, too. I'm just saying, like, tough, that's how it? freaking hard it is to kill. And, 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 like, we are, like, raghorn assassins. Like, we are not passing any legal bull. You know, no one in our group passes a legal bull ever. So, and we've shot everything from, like, the smallest four-point raycorn you can imagine to my brother's biggest archery bull is 308. So, like, in the archery season, that's like, we've shot the entire range. But it's just whatever one comes in first and works. And, like, the, the 240s, the 250s, like, they look pretty cool. Like, a 5x5 five five 240, like, doesn't look like a small bull. Like, that... 
that's a great set of antlers. You know, we've had a couple 270s, 280s, 6x6s, 6x7s. I shot one with a rifle, too. Like, that's starting to be, like, a bigger bull. Like, that looks huge to, like, your average whitetail guy that doesn't live in the West. And then we've had, like, a couple that went over 300, and then I shot a 354, and it's like, like you said, like, these things are giant. Like, you just don't oh, appreciate so how big they are, and, and the numbers, like, don't even matter at that point. No, they really, I mean, it really doesn't. Like, you know, we have a lot of guys that, you know, might be there, for, we meet them somehow one way or the other, and they want to, us to take them hunting. They maybe they're from Texas or wherever, but uh, you know they're always they always want that three hundred bull. Yeah, exactly. that's like the idea. But to me, I, if if it's my first elk and you know like first time elk hunting, killing any bull should be like the highlight of your life, man. You should want to shoulder mount that thing and be put that on your wall and be so excited. I have two of them. I have one at the taxidermist right now. Actually, I think he's done. I think my taxidermist just texted me and said he's bringing them to a competition and then he's going to drop them off at my house because he lives in North Dakota and I live in Minnesota. And then I have the, the North Dakota bull. He's on a pedestal in the other room. And so, like, I've shoulder mounted. I've shot two bulls. I've shoulder mounted them both. <laughs> it's a good way to go. It really is. Yeah. It really is. I don't think I'm going to do that for every bull. Like, if I shot a, if I did shoot a 4x4, four four, it's like I'm probably not going to shoulder mount them. But I'm going to still do, like, a really nice Euro or something. Like, every single one of those suckers is coming home for me. That's for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. So. But Agreed. the 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 once-in-a-lifetime Utah experience, like, shooting it over a wallow is something that, every year I feel like is going to be like my backup plan. Like plan A is always bugle. They, they storm down and like run straight at you, stop at 10 yards and you shoot them right in the throat. Yep. That's, that ne- that's plan A. That's always plan A. That usually never works for us. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, why don't we just sit wallows? And we've sat some wallows. I don't know if we've ever seen a bull elk. And so we're usually like that third week of September. You guys seeing typically like, by then, they're just really not hitting those wallows as much. Exactly. I, I mean, I wouldn't say not as much. Definitely not as. One of my favorite things about Maverick hunting blinds is the ability to customize the blind for your needs. With the Booner Blind series, you can customize your window orientation and get all vertical windows, all horizontal windows, or even half and half. You can even build your blind so all your vertical windows are on one side for those close-range archery shots, and all your horizontal windows are on the other side for your long-range rifle shots. And when it comes to customizing the look of your blind, they've got an entire line of accessories. They've got options to camouflage tint your windows and stencil kits to make your entire blind camo and bow holders and gun holders for the inside of their blind. They've got everything you need to make your blind perfect for you. Click the link below and head over to maverickhunting.com to get all the accessories you need to customize your Maverick blind. Uh, like, definitely not on, like, their schedule anymore. Yeah. Like, you, you don't know when they're going to be there. But well, that like, was also in Utah. Like, where we're at in Montana, that time of year, there is so much water in every... Mm. every draw has a creek and yeah. springs utah i mean it was a desert over there just rocky and hot that's why we ended up saying like we like 
us three out there, we some days we were like eight miles from the truck, and it became a point like, like we all talked and we we're like, guys, if we kill a bull eight miles away from the truck and we have to pack it out for 12 hours and in, in this heat it's it's gonna go bad and so we we ended up hunting a lot closer to to like a road just for that reason to be able to because it was so hot like some days it was like 80 degrees at the end of september or not in the end of september but the end of august yeah that just sounds miserable <laughs> and it, oh man it was hot but like the day that that we had stuck that bull, it finally started cooling down. The elk just blew up that night, like it was crazy. That's it, yeah, mix up. That's super interesting. So we're always like third week of September. That's our week. That's we always keep the same week. And lately, we're just like, I wonder if we should move either forward or back. I, I we don't even know at this point, but we're st- I think we're thinking of moving up to like the second week. Like, kind of show up the night you shot yours, like, September 7th, September 8th, and then hunt those, like, next seven days yeah. instead of, like, the yeah. 18th through I the think 25th. There's, I think there's a lot to do, too, with, like, the bulls being split up and not being together yet. Like, they're all alone, and they're, on, they're like, searching. And if you, mm-hmm. you're in the middle of them while they're alone – and you, they'll they'll come screaming in when it's when they're by themselves and they think that because at that point they're on the prowl like right before yeah. that's what happened this year uh, like because we we were in Mon- or in Utah while the opener in Montana started we were like two days late yeah well both our dads are guides and that first those first two days he, over here were just crazy. Oh, yeah, we were getting elk. messages and FaceTime calls. Yeah, videos of elk just <laughs> screaming in. Well, as soon as we got back, everything, it just went, I mean, elk started being more elusive and coming out only at night. And and we did find, like, every once in a while, you'd find a hole somewhere that the elk would just be going crazy. And that's kind of what happened with, I shot, the same night, actually, he shot that the big bull two years ago. Mm-hmm. I think I lost your audio. And uh, so kind of just a shitty deal for me. I was pretty upset about it. Like, I, I mean, I had it on video and everything, this arrow just burying it into its side. And the next day we, we trailed them for 200 yards and it was getting late. It was right at dark when I stuck him. Well, that next morning we got in there early and it was just a downpour rain. Oh. So we gridded for the whole day that we could and then never ended up finding him. Well, going into this year, I told myself, I was like, if I have a a bull come within shooting range, I'm going to shoot it like no matter what. So me and uh, I don't I don't know if you've seen. uh, Do you know who Sterling Quinn is? I've heard of it. Yeah, he it was he had that crazy video of that mule deer buck running him down the mountain. Oh, yeah. 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 So Sterling, he was with me, and uh, yeah, we were just sitting right out in the open, like it was getting dark, and it was just like we were pretty much giving up at this point, sitting there, letting out some little wimpy bugles, and out of nowhere, this we just hear a rip, and this bull screams, and uh, five minutes later. He just comes running right up out of the brush, straight up this draw, and almost runs us over. Like, 
he was he was 12 yards away just running up the hill and i just went man stopped him and sh- just and just piled him like it, he almost that it's a whole crazy deal i was actually shooting taryn's bow the same <laughs> bow that shot the utah bowl because my bow something was all messed up with it we i went to shoot it when we got back and it was just all over the place so our draw links like really close and i shot a few times one night anyway yeah take his bow out first time going out with his bow and i stuck this little five-point bowl and uh yeah it was pretty freaking surreal but finally i could say that i killed an elk with a bow after yeah this year that's pretty special i wish i had like i'm my draw length is the longest in our entire group and so i can like technically shoot everyone's bow but it doesn't go well and my brother's draw length is like <laughs> two inches shorter than mine and i've shot a deer with his bow because mine like you said mine's all left up and the season's ending and I had one tag left in my pocket. So I take his bow and I practice, but like, I'm either like, well, I'm like, I have to anchor. Like you can't not anchor the string. And so I'm shooting with my arm, like half bent to try to shoot this thing. And it works like good enough, but I wish, because I know a lot of people that they're like the exact same, like two brothers or two buddies. It's like, we shoot not only the exact same, like we have the exact same bow. We have the, like we buy 24 arrows at a time and we just split them in half. We have the exact same draw weight, the same draw length. Like everything is exactly the same. So we can just pick each other's bows and shoot with them. And I'm like, that would be sweet. And now I'm hunting with my wife. She's like a foot shorter than me and left-handed. So like nothing will ever, nothing will ever work. Even like rifles, she's going to be shooting left-handed rifles. I'm going to be shooting right-handed rifles. So, we can't even share a rifle, which is kind of a bummer. It does make it handy, man. Just you never know what can happen out there. I tell you what, when we were in Utah, I tripped once and I tomahawked that Matthews bow through the woods, and <laughs> I cannot believe that that thing was it, and it shooting. I mean, just so well. I I, I still like it was it. like a full blown tomahawk through the rocks down a steep. It was insane. So I, like I can't you. Believe it. Like you tripped and fell, and it was like either I'm falling off this mountain or I have to throw my like drop my bow slash throw my bow just like he, to catch he was, myself. What <laughs> happened was like that is there was an elf bugling on this ridge, and we'd seen him like he was out of nowhere just on a beeline. Well, we jumped off, took off running down. It's just super rocky. We're kind of like it's almost like parkouring down these freaking rocks, these boulders. Well, we get to the bottom and it's just a steep dirt trail and boulders all along it well he's running and there's one little rock in the trail and i turn around as he's running down and he clips his foot and he's going down in the dirt hard like he knows it well he just tossed his bow like off to the side like <laughs> just just like he's like setting it down you know just trying to toss it to not hurt it and he's gonna hurt himself well the bow catches like the sight and it just starts tomahawking goes probably 20 yards down this this little ridge Oh my or the hillside gosh. off the ridge. And the elk, the elk ended up, we kind of moved and the elk, it was a crazy deal. He came over the hill at like 30 yards and we were just moving to the next bush and he saw us and we chased that bull for a while, but he wasn't comfortable shooting after that bow. So we made it back to camp in the truck and shot the bow and that thing was just money. Like, could it, I mean, it was I don't think it was off at all. No, was it? It, was, it, was, it might have even been shot better than it was. You know, <laughs> Knocked it the straight. Day before. Who knows? <laughs> it was the craziest thing ever. Oh my god, that's that is insane. I, I mean, we've like everyone's dropped their bow a little bit or like slipped and fell and kind of landed on it, and you're like, oh man, 
should probably shoot it. I don't know. You never want to waste like a $30 arrow shooting it into a stump to know that you're like, yep, still shoots fine. Now I'm just down an arrow and a broadhead. (laughs) (laughs) You almost didn't do that. (laughs) Yeah, man, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. Because it will, it'll stick in the back of your mind all day long and it drives you nuts. Well, so get this, me and my brother switched to, we switched to grizzly stick broadheads last year or two years ago because we just weren't having good success. He was shooting a four blade, I was shooting a three blade and we just weren't. We had never got a pass-through. On none of our bulls, we've gotten, like, clean pass-throughs. And we're like, man, we – like, it's tough to track these things. And these things cover some distance. And it's like, we want two holes. We want more blood trail. And so, we, you know, we did the whole fixed blade, single bevel. Well, we, like – I told him, like, hey, I'm going to buy, like, 200s. Are you going to buy 200s? Yeah, I'm going to buy 200s. It's like, great. Now, we'll, like, we'll both have the same broadhead at least. And so we're shooting. And he had bought two, lost one – something else happened and so he had four like he had five i had three so he gave me one right so i we both have four and we hunted a full season like that get around to the next year i'm sighting my bowen and just nothing is working it's like you think you got it dialed in and like shooting fixed blades you got to like tune them a little bit better than like a mechanical so i'm like trying to tune it and trying to get it tuned and shooting straight and just when i think it's going good all of a sudden like the next arrow just is a flyer and i'm like what the heck and so I'm just trying to figure all this out. I'm numbering them all and stuff like that and going back to field points. I'm like, what's going on here? Well, we get to elk camp, and it's like, like you said, it's in the back of my mind that, like, it's like I'm going to kill a bull at 30 yards, but I'm not shooting as good as I should be. And so we're talking, and I'm, I'm kind of telling them this, and my brother's like, well, which arrow is it? And I'm like, it's always this arrow, but everything's the same. And he's like, wasn't that the broadhead I gave you? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm shooting 175s. You're shooting 200s. And I'm like, are you serious? You let me hunt for a year and a half, and you, like, forgot to mention that you changed your mind and got a different grain arrow? (laughs) (laughs) So there I am, opening morning, shooting my bow in camp while everyone's, like, eating breakfast, waiting to go. That is great, man. That is a good story there. Yeah, I was – I'm like, you have to be kidding me. I had an arrow, like, I bring a tackle box full of all my stuff, like, all my arrow building and archery tools, and I had a scale in there, and I'm, like, weighing broadheads on my cot in my tent that the night before, <laughs> like, making sure I knew which one was the one that was off. Sure enough, yeah, one of my broadheads was 175. That's so. funny, man. That's a, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's funny. That's a good story. I can't imagine if I would have, like, shot a bull with, like, the one that was off and just miss. I mean, yeah, it's not a big yeah. miss, but like you start shooting sixty yards, like something's gonna that's gonna make a huge impact. Oh yeah, it gets dramatic for sure at that range. Yeah, what kind of yeah, would... what kind of setup are you guys using? Because obviously, like you said, both your dads are guides. So you probably like encounter a lot of shots and like see a lot of like, well, this arrow did this, or this broadhead did this, or this shot, you know, was a little bit far forward. Did he break the shoulder oh, yeah, blade or not? Sure, like, what you do know... you guys see and what do you guys use? Uh, you know, I really like. Like I've been bouncing around with like the four millimeter arrows for the last two years. Like that's yeah. what I like to sit. And right now it's the Easton Axis long range. I like that arrow a lot. Okay. And it's got the outsert on the front of it. And I can, you know, once I stick, I, I, I don't really shoot like a super heavy arrow. Matter of fact, I don't, I've never had a pass through on an elk, but the two elk that I have killed with a bow, I've died fairly quick besides, mm-hmm. you know, last year I made a, you know, a bad shot. That's on me. Yeah. But I really like an Easton arrow. 
that Easton Arrow, and then I really like the Day Six broadheads. Okay, I've never heard of that one. Day Six, I, I heard about them through uh, through uh, Remy Warren is who I heard heard about them. But uh, yeah, I really like them a lot, man. They're they're expensive. They got a price tag for sure, but all their stuff that I've used anyway is, is really nice. Those and the Slick Tricks, I do like the Slick Tricks quite a bit. What kind of like what kind of broadheads is the Day Six? Is it, I'm assuming it's a fixed blade. Yeah, it's a fixed blade with the the, the single bevel style. Two blade, the, uh, two blade single bevel. Yep, yep. Okay, exactly. Does it have like a bleeder blade at all? It does have a bleeder blade. Okay. Well, you, I think you can you can actually customize them. I think so. I think you can go with a with or without. Yeah, with or without, or, and then you can change the sizes of them. You can do all sorts of stuff. Oh, that sounds cool. Because the one thing I the one thing I'm a little bit worried about with my grizzly sticks is they are not very wide. They're like. Yeah. an inch and an eighth maybe like what like they're so like my cut isn't very wide at all i'm probably gonna like smoke some stuff and get a pastor because i also shoot 30 inches and 72 pounds and a heavy arrow but i'm like man it would be nice if that was a little bit wider like i don't need like a three inch broadhead but you know an inch and an eighth yeah. seems a little small to me it definitely is that's when i shoot my slick tricks they're about they're an inch and an eighth i think is what they are but yeah that's a four blade though right that but it's four blade broadhead yeah yeah so you know that's what i killed that five point with slick trick four blade yeah my brothers killed three or four bulls with that he just never had pass through and on the last one he didn't even hit a rib or any bones because his like there was no broken ribs when we caped it out and, and quartered it and his broadhead was like perfectly sharpened still no nicks or anything and it Barely was poking, like his the hide on the backside was like bulging where the arrowhead That's was. That's exactly how mine was. Yeah, on the backside where the passer would have been. And both of the on the hide. Both did your arrow break? Like is your shaft broken? Yeah, actually, it's right. It was right here. Yeah, like it bounced back out. It went all the way in to the fletching and bounced back out, and he broke it on the trees. Oh, really? As he's running down. So, we, yeah, I found, I don't know, 18, 20 inches of the arrow just covered in the blood all the way up to the fletching. Huh. But I watched the arrow because he was, he was 12 yards away just on a beeline. And the wind was blowing kind of sideways. So right as he was about, he was like vertically just just straight across from me on the hillside. Almost to break my wind. And I just went, meh, 12 yards away and shot. Didn't hit a rib on that side. Well, I watched the arrow, like, go right all. I thought it was a pass-through. Well, it hit that elk, and he, like, kind of tripped on himself and, like, literally went down. I thought I just dropped an elk with a bow. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. And as soon as he, like, dropped down, the arrow, I think, actually, since he fell fell on that side, it might have pushed the arrow back out, and that's what happened. Oh, yeah. And, and then he got up and just, yeah, ran right down the hill. And the first tree out of that opening that he hit, the arrow was broke off. And he was another probably 50, 60 yards just piled up like he was running and, and died. That's wild. My brothers didn't bounce out. Well, the bull didn't tip over right away either. But it broke in two places. And he pulled, like, all three pieces out. But it was almost like both shoulder blades, like, broke the shaft. Like it was, oh. you know what I mean? Like it stuck right behind the shoulder, like double long. And it's like, they were both broke, like right inside each side, like a little bit of Dude, fletching. That's, probably, that's exactly, that is cool. That's actually a really cool story there. Yeah. But then he's like, man, like I've shot four of these now. I've never had a pass through. I've 
like always had good shots. Like the Bulls have died, and he's we're just like we're trying to find that that perfect balance between like enough cut width, but also getting like a pass through. Because a lot of them, like there isn't a blood trail at all. Like we're watching them or hearing them crash, and then we go over and we find them with our eyes. Mm. And then you, like, start to kind of piece together, like, right at the end, there's a little bit of a blood trail. But it's not like these things are, like, painting the woods black or blue, or sorry, not blue, red, with blood. And so we're, like, worried. Like, man, if these, if we ever shoot one that we don't, like, hear it crash or see it crash, like, and that arrow's, like, plugging up the hole and we only have one hole, like, that's why we're, like, man, that's really, really nice to get, like, two holes and not have an arrow plugging them up. And so that's why we switched to the single bevels. Yeah, and I can't blame you. I, I think, you know, maybe I should work on my arrow setup this year and really dial it in because I, I, I would like, you know, to get some pass-throughs on the next few bulls I shoot. Because that is one thing I ran into as well is blood is just scarce. Yeah. Even if it's the best shot in the world. Like, yeah, I don't know. Anybody. I don't know if it's because they, like, if they, like, run downhill and it's just, like, a different shape to get filled up or – like, you'll shoot a whitetail. Like, if you can get a pass-through on a whitetail, you shoot, like, a two-inch mechanical. It's like they are gushing instantly. Mm-hmm. Or, like, a mule deer. I've seen a lot of people, or, like, antelope, like, people videoing from a blind, and they shoot through, and it's just... I don't know, like... I what, could almost... What, I could guarantee that you're right about that. It being, like, this, the steepness of the country. Yeah. With the holes and like running up or down a hill, there's so much more to fill up before it starts to leak out because yeah, just thinking about it, it makes a lot of sense. And then the elk that I've stuck and not found because it's been so steep. Yeah. And it's obviously hard to find stuff when it's that steep and gnarly. Like if it's a plane, like you just, everything's flat, you can see farther, but that, and that like, they obviously have, like, thicker fur, thicker hide. Like, everything on them is thicker. So it might just be more in the way, too. But you also don't get very many pastors. Like, I've talked to a lot of people. Not I haven't heard of a ton of pastors. Like, some people have, some people haven't. But more often than not, you hear of, like, stubble on Stuckham, arrow shaft broke on a tree on the way out. He piled up 60 yards away. Right. You know? I think the only way to get the automatic, like, I guess automatic pass-through if you're shooting like a, a bow setup, kind of like, I don't know, like Cam Haynes, yeah. you're shooting 80, 90 pounds. Well, the, something crazy with a heavy, heavy arrow. I mean, well, I don't know, man. I think my bow probably shoots as fast as Cam's because he's short, like really short. Yeah, you, yeah. See, and if you have a longer draw length, that's going to, man. I'm at 30. My actual arm measurement's like 30.6. So I think I'm going to try to, my next bow, I th- I'm i going to try to find an 80-pound, 31-inch bow. That would be a killer. I, and everyone's like, you don't need that. I'm like, I know, I don't, but I want, I just want to, like, that's the same reason why I deer hunt with a 300 wind mag. Like, I just, yeah. I don't want to be short ever, you know. I don't want to, no. like, wish. Like, imagine if you had a 80-pound bow and you dialed it, like, ah, 70's fine. Then you shot that huge bull at 12 yards and you can still see your fletching. Like, oh yeah, no, and that's just gonna live in your mind forever. Right, so like if you don't something crazy happens, you don't find the bull, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, or like God forbid, like we had one guy that got a little bit too far forward and hit the blade. I mean, and then when you hit an elk blade, I mean, he had a pretty big, powerful bow too. Like nothing like speed demon, but modern bow. All modern bows shoot pretty fast. The mm-hmm. crack that thing made, it sounded like a Barry Bonds home run. Like just. <laughs> 
And like we're like, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if you hit that pole where you wanted to hit it. Sure enough, found the arrow. Like no penetration. Like and so like that's part of it too. Is like if you hit a blade, like if you hit the knuckle, I don't think anything's gonna save you. But yeah, if you no. like nick the blade, hopefully, like my goal is to like crack it and like that arrow sh- like twisting as it goes through. Hopefully, I crack it just enough that I get in far enough to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. So I don't know. It's it's yeah, neither, there's no great system. I mean, my wife's shooting a 25 inch Hoyt, and she just pile drived a whitetail on our new farm. And the arrow, when the buck tipped over, the broadhead stuck in the ground, and then he flopped, and it was like a pastor. It's like he, she had two holes in it, and the arrow was just like resting in the middle, broadhead gotcha. sticking out the far side. And she's only yeah. shooting 60 pounds, 25 inches. Which is pretty. Oh, that's a lot for like a smaller female, but yeah, I was gonna say that's actually like you. You got her in the gym or something. You're doing something, right? She. I didn't. Don't give me any credit for that. She was strong before I even knew her. <laughs> Sixty pounds. That's a lot, man. Uh yeah. Well, so you probably appreciate the story. So she bow hunted a little bit with her dad growing up. She was a power like she got into powerlifting and like bodybuilding, all kinds of different things. And then she went to med school for pharmacy, so she didn't bow hunt for five six years she barely even drew her bow back like the only time she'd ever shoot was like with me a little bit and then she didn't shoot like she didn't bow hunt at all last year she shot her bow maybe one day last year and she had like an old bear something i don't know 30 pound bow and so now she got done this year and she wanted to like get into bow hunting and we just bought this 40 acre farm and it's like a whitetail farm um all whitetail habitat and so we shot her bow and we'd been talking about getting her a new one and so I was like, well, let's just, like, you shot today for the first time in, like, two years. Like, you know how your bow shoots. Like, let's just, it's kind of a rainy Sunday. Let's just go head to the archery shop and, like, just shoot a couple, see what you think. Well, like, obviously I know what's going to happen when you're, like, thinking about getting a new bow and then you go to the archery shop and shoot some new bows when you're shooting yeah, this, like, right. 30-year-old bear. And so we go, sure enough, she pulls back the, like, the Hoyt. She's 50 pounds. She pulls it back just flawless. Like, she doesn't even, like, sky pull. She just straight pulls back. Shoots it, loves it, obviously. Shoots the phase four. That one didn't draw quite as good. I don't know which Halo or which Matthews you have, but this was she had the phase four that she shot, and it was just a little bit more aggressive of a draw cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely an aggressive draw cycle in the phase four. I, I just got the lift, and it's it's even worse, man. Yeah, well, you're putting more energy into the bow, which is good, but that's what makes it aggressive. But she liked the Halon, or the not the Halon, the Venom VTM better just because it's smoother. And so then we're like, Talking to the guy, and he's like, you know, do you want the 60-pound or the 70-pound? And I'm like, man, I don't know, like, pros and cons, this, that, and the other thing. Like, can you shoot a 70-pound at 60 or 50? He's like, well, 50 is probably a little light. You know, usually it's recommended, like, 10 pounds less, you know, no more than, like, shooting 10 pounds under. And so she's like, well, why don't we just go find a 60-pound bow and see if I can pull it back? I'm like, all right. So he dials it up to 60, just straight pull back shoots it yep let's get the 70 pounder <laughs> so nice. she's shooting 60 after not pulling a bow back in two years that's impressive man that really is impressive. and now we're shooting league she gets a little tired after like a full night of league because we just don't shoot a lot now that season's over yeah what month do you would you say you guys would, do you really get into that you're shooting every day consistently no we both have like day jobs. She works at a hospital. Like sometimes she doubles. Like, no, we've never been that consistent. I get I tired when I shoot a paper league shooting sixty shots. I'll get a little tired. 
shooting 3D league where you're only shooting two arrows at a time, I, I typically don't. But I've been shooting 70 for 10 years now. So, right. yeah, I probably will if I got an 80-pound bow. You know, because we just – we don't shoot as much as we should, really, when it comes See, to I, I, I don't shoot as much through the winter, but as soon as, like, March rolls around, it's pretty much – I would say every other day until the beginning of summer, and then it's every day. Do you have – can you shoot in your house or in your apartment? Uh, well, no, I, I usually just go out to my dad's place out, you know, wherever that might be. But, we, yeah, we, we our archery store in town actually has a 24-7 mm. access, you know, to the – range, whatever it might be, 40 yards, I think, is what you can get out of it. But oh, I should be better at it. Yeah, I – um. I can shoot like 19 yards in my basement. And so that has really helped in the past without doing like a 3D league or something in the winter. That's helped to just like be able to walk over and shoot like 10 arrows a day, even though it's like 30 below. Yeah, it keeps you going. Yeah, that, that, and I never, I haven't missed yet. My wife does not like shooting in the house though. She's never done it. She's (laughs) like, "Ah, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) It's definitely dangerous, yeah. The only thing I've ever messed up was I had a pass, like, I have, like, one of those Reinhardt rubber targets, and the center was starting to get two shot out, and I hit it, and I my arrow went just far enough through it that the point, like, hit the drywall and made, like, a, like, a, like what would be, like, a really big nail hole. <laughs> so I had to, like, back my target. It's, like, off the wall farther, so I didn't, like, get past Susan. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's that's the one thing I would like to get better at because, like, like you said, when you're out there in the mountains, like these things, these things are hard to get shot opportunities, and you never get a perfect shot opportunity. Like there's never a thirty yard trail, like mowed groomed trail, like in the whitetail woods that the elk walk out, and you can see like the entire elk. Like every elk we've ever killed, you can never see the entire elk. You like there's a hole that you're shooting that the vitals are like lucky enough to be in, and so like yeah, it's like town is ninety five percent. I mean, they're yeah, every now and then you know. But what you might get that lucky. Go Maybe you're like your Utah bowl on a wallow, like you have a pretty controlled yeah. environment there. But like most of the time when they're coming in, like there's trees in the way, there's stuff in the way. You got to make the best. And like having that, like just like that super high confidence that you know how, not only like I can put the arrow where I want it to be, but like I know how it's going to fly. Like if I have to shoot over a branch and drop it in, like, like holding my pin on a log or a limb, knowing my arrow is going to go over it and land behind it type of yeah. like shooting like that has bitten me in the past before too like oh, i don't know i can't shoot there's a log in the way and then like three months later when you're still thinking about it at work you're like i probably could have killed that bull i prob- my yeah. probably my arrow probably went right over that yep so do you do you do a lot of the like the tack events do you do any of those none i've never done it. i want to but like we don't have actual tacks in minnesota and mm-hmm. like the vacation is usually the limiter on like doing fun stuff like that because i spend so much of it like canada fishing elk hunting, mule deer hunt, like whitetails here. And then by then it's like, I'm pretty much out of vacation. And so it's hard to like justify two, three days to drive out to Bozeman as fun as it would be. I just have, yeah, I don't blame you at all. We got a couple stuff around, we got a couple things around here that's starting to get big, like bow fest and stuff like that. We're like, they're not mountains. They call them mountains, but it's like ski hills where they do some stuff like that, that I want to start doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, those I, I definitely the that's the best practice in my opinion that I can get like going to shoot those shoot those tack events because man it's it's about as close as it you'll get I mean, really yeah well when you guys do tack events are you there to shoot or are you there to like network and have like a booth and like 
I would say, like, in the past, we were there to shoot. But I think, like, this year, man, we have so many expos we got lined up we're going to. And, yeah. like, different tack events. It's just going to be I – don't, I honestly, I don't know if we will even shoot. <laughs> or whatever it is yeah. you know i think we're just we're just trying to meet you know as many people as we can yeah no that's a Hopefully good plan right people and yeah move forward that's a good plan i would uh, in your position i'd be doing the same thing like I, I would definitely be like leveraging those things to meet people network line stuff yeah. up so yeah, yeah that's awesome dude i'm excited i'm excited for this to see all the stuff you guys are about to put out um i'm gonna watch the utah hunt as soon as we get off here but I really Sounds appreciate you guys setting aside some time and finally being able to get this podcast. I know like both of our schedules were crazy this fall and we just couldn't get it lined up until now, but super happy to have you guys on. Yeah, man, it's been tough. Sorry. We can, uh, make but one happen. of the days that we were gonna, we were set and it was a thing we were even talking about it. Like it's happening, dude. We were like excited and we were in Utah. Oh, really? Mountain and had no service at all. We figured we'd have service. Nothing. No service. It's like every other spot there. It's like you a, have you know a Hannah service or something, except for that spot. Oh, I forget dang. how long the dirt road was, but yeah, there was just one huge dirt road. It was like thirty-five miles long on that, and that's where we were while we were planning on doing it the first time. Dang. Well, this worked out pretty good too. So. Yeah, we finally got her done. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'm super excited, like I said, and I'm gonna be keeping an eye out for all the new stuff coming too. But before we wrap up. Give all the listeners a chance to follow along. Where, like, where's the socials, the YouTube page? Where can they go check out some of the content, see some of these cool bowls? So our uh, YouTube page is just at Toughen Up. That's our channel. And our Instagram is at uh, Toughen Up underscore uh, official. They wouldn't, somebody stole the name. Too bad. <laughs> Dang it. And then, of course, TikTok, you'll just find us at Toughen Up. All the other forms of media, you're just going to find at Toughen Up. Awesome. Cool. So, We'll, we'll put we'll put links to the those places in the show notes so folks can just scroll down and go check out some of the cool content. Sounds good, man. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for being here and thank you for listening, folks. <laughs>